Welcome to Coaches on the Rise, the podcast for all coaches of all sports. I'm your host, Celia Slater. And today I'm going to be visiting with Jen Busick. She's the assistant coach for the Dallas Mavericks. And Jen's got a really interesting path that she's taken in her life around coaching. Never thought she was going to be a coach, thought she was going to be a doctor, never even thought coaching as an option for her full time. Um, When she graduated from the University of Virginia, found herself playing in the WNBA, has a career-ending injury, starts to go down this coaching path in the WNBA, and lo and behold, here she is finding herself as an assistant coach in the NBA for the Dallas Mavericks. And she will tell you she never in a million years thought this is where she would be, but boy, is she glad she's there. She's definitely a pioneer in several ways. First of all, She's one of the few female assistant coaches in the NBA, and she's also a single mother while coaching in the NBA. So I know you're going to enjoy this conversation with Jen, so let's get to the show. Jenny, thank you so much for taking time to visit with me on a game day. Yeah, my pleasure. I mean, come on. This is like really, really um, special for me. Um, to have a chance to talk to you and your really uh, interesting career. And, you know, our podcast and our organization serves coaches of all sports together in the same classrooms. All of our listeners are coaches of all sports. Do you mind giving them just a snapshot of your career path of how did you wind up here now with the Dallas Mavericks? Yeah, so in a nutshell, um, played basketball in college at University of Virginia, was pre-med and planning on going to med school. There was no professional women's basketball when I started college. Mm-hmm. Um, but the year that I graduated was the year that professional basketball began in the United States for women. Um, we'd had a couple failed leagues, but WNBA was, was started and run by the NBA, so it seemed like there was a little bit more uh, potential there. So um, I tried out for a team, made a team and had a short career because of an injury, but I'd fallen in love with the WNBA, just being a part of that inaugural season and really um, experiencing the the power and the potential and of and purpose of that league. Um, I, I felt the significance and I wanted to be a part of it. So I wasn't ready to go to med school. I wasn't ready to, to be done with what I thought was a very purposeful pursuit in helping the WNBA get going and fulfill its potential. So um, that was the first time I considered coaching, but it was to coach in the WNBA for the, the purposes uh, that I believe the WNBA had, um, you know, on it. And so I, I started coaching as a volunteer with the Washington Mystics with Nancy Darsh, who I'm forever grateful for, is legend, legendary uh, women's basketball coach. And we were in Washington, D.C., and I volunteered there for a year. A year later was hired with the Miami WNBA team, and was there for a while and then that team folded I went out to Seattle with Ann Donovan um, another legendary coach in women's basketball we won a championship as a young coach that was a huge treat and then got a head coaching job with Sacramento Monarchs WNBA team at a young age of 31 um, and was there for a few years that team folded then Seattle brought me back with a different ownership different coaching staff we won another championship and then I ended up becoming the head coach there years later. Um, and following that, the Kings called Sacramento Kings of the NBA and uh, brought me back to Sacramento. And I started my career in the NBA. Um, I was there one year and then Dallas, the Dallas Mavericks called. I came in for an interview 
and um, was fortunate to get that job and this is my second season with the Dallas Mavericks. And, and your official title and you know job responsibilities here with Dallas is what? Assistant coach. Mm-hmm. Um, it's wrong on our website <laughs> but it's assistant coach and um, I'm assistant to the offensive coordinator and then we rotate all of the the scouts which you know preparing for the our future opponents we rotate we have five people who rotate that and then we all share every every other responsibility player development and game preparation practice preparation game analysis all that kind of stuff so here you are Virginia you're thinking you're going to be a doctor yeah and like here you are now an assistant coach of the Dallas Mavericks I mean would you say never in a million years would this if you dreamed up that this would have been your path Never in a million years, never. I mean, there was no professional basketball for women. Mm -hmm. So professional basketball wasn't even on the radar for me my entire college career. I mean, when when we lost in the Elite Eight of my senior year, I was absolutely devastated and went into a deep, deep depression for about eight months because I thought that was the end of my basketball career, and it was my first and deepest love. So, no, I never expected to continue on in sports other than maybe sports medicine. And then be in the NBA now, too. <laughs> like, move from yeah. the WNBA to the NBA is just like another, I mean, I'm sure lots of young women, until recently, thanks to some of you women, you know, leading the way, it's like, um, probably wouldn't be a, even in the dreams of some young women to coach in this at this league, so... That's another question. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, biggest similarities or differences that you have experienced between the WNBA and the and the NBA. So let's let's talk similarities first. Well, it's it's a lot more similar than it is different. Mm-hmm. You know, you're you're uh, getting the the opportunity to work with the best athletes in the world and from all over the world. It's a very international game. These are the top competitors of that sport, and you know you could argue some of the best athletes in the world. So that level of competitor has a lot more similarities than they do differences, I think, gender aside. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, you know, I would say that first and foremost. I said, I'd say the biggest differences, and these are generalizations, because I think the gender attributes or characteristics are more on a continuum. It's, it's not a black and white thing, but um, generalizing, I think women are more verbal, um, and they they like more verbal communication, like more explanation, whereas guys don't seem to need that in general. Um, women like to discuss, have an opinion, and like an explanation for a lot of the teaching, which as a teacher, you know, you love. Right. You, know, you, you appreciate that. Mm-hmm. So that's been a, a noticeable difference is the guys just don't seem to need it. If they don't understand it, they just keep it moving. They probably won't even say they don't understand mm-hmm. Um, so that's a big difference. I think generalizing again, I think um, not that men don't struggle with confidence, male players, but more women struggle with confidence than, than the male players. The male players, if anything, can think more highly of themselves than maybe the truth, and the women can think less highly of themselves than, than is the truth. But again, there's exceptions to all those rules, right? All, in all of that, but in general, I think I dealt with more players struggling with confidence on the women's side. Mm-hmm. Um, even some of the five-time Olympians that I coached, you know, like just didn't make sense even. But I felt like women were harder on themselves. But we've got some guys that are the same, so like I yeah, said. Yeah. But in general, yeah, I think women were harder on themselves. And, and when you unpack that a little bit, like mm-hmm. in thinking about it, have you had any theories on to why that is? I think, you know, while I do think women and men are – 
are equal in their value 100 percent there there are differences um again it's not that black and white but there are some differences and i think a woman's nature and i don't know whether it's nature or nurture environment how we're socialized we don't know I, i can't say that but i think in general women tend to beat themselves up and and be harder on themselves and have a harder time letting certain things go um and blame themselves more and, and struggle with a little bit more guilt. Like I, even with parenting, I'm, I'm seeing the mom guilt, you know, that, that I don't really see in, in the dads as much, you know, not that they don't feel bad that they're away a lot or whatever, but I mean, it's, it's a real traumatic ongoing <laughs> syndrome for most sure. mothers, Sure, you know, that they're never good enough. They're never, they could be doing better and doing more. So mm-hmm. why that is, I don't know. Yeah, it just seems like there's are the, there, there definitely are these roles that we socialize people in around what a female is or her role with a family and a male's role with the family. Mm-hmm. And working with coaches of all sports, I do more and more see with even the younger male coaches, they really have a lot of that guilt. Yeah. It's starting to grow with them yeah. too. Like they're starting to go, oh, wow, I... I don't want to be a big-time Division One coach because I want to oh. spend time with my. I want to have a family and mm-hmm. be be with my family. You know, I always joke around with my coaches and I say to them, I said, you know, my mom and dad didn't make it to every game. You know, and and I feel like I turned out all right. You know, mm-hmm. I said, you know what? No matter what you do as a parent, your kid's going to need therapy. So mm-hmm. you might as well get over it. <laughs> True. Somebody's going to break their heart. Somebody's yeah. going to do something, and they're going to need a therapist. Um, that's a, a statement that we're always going to we need, need therapy. We all need therapy. That's right. That's right. So it's just kind of, and it just adds levity to the room because, you know, yeah. you, you definitely can feel it with the women, especially yeah. that, um, and, and that's what we're wondering, like, right now with women in coaching. Yeah. You know, it's not hard to recruit them into the profession mm-hmm. right now. It's hard to keep them in the profession. But at you a hear that in every profession. Like I, I do a lot of speaking, and every company, corporation, profession. I mean, some of some of them women don't even choose to start in because they know they're not going to be able to stick with it. Like mm-hmm. that was one of the reasons I didn't. I was not that upset about not being a doctor because I was worried. Can I be a doctor and a great mom? Mm-hmm. You know, and my dad said it's hard. It's hard to be a great doctor and a great mom. So there's certain professions I think women look at even initially and say, I don't know if, if this is going to fit with my future dream of being a mother, mm-hmm. like how I would do both well. Or they start on the path, like you say, and then they get to a certain point where they're looking up at the career path and they're saying, okay, yeah, I could do that, but I don't think I could do that and have a family do a good job as a, as a wife or a mother and they eliminate themselves, mm-hmm. um, which is a huge passion of mine now is trying to challenge our culture, especially in this country, um, in ways to have these tough conversations to where women won't have to have so many crossroads and have to make so many choices and have so much tension, you know, between being a high level leader, mm-hmm. um, being a very successful person in their profession or their passion um, and being a great mother, but but the companies are going to have to work with us, and I'm very fortunate the Mavericks have been doing that, and I'm hoping that they're pioneering something, or again at least initiating conversations for other companies, challenging other companies to look in the mirror and say, are we doing the same thing? You know, are we losing all of our female talent at some point um, because they want to be a mother? Mm-hmm. And that's a lot. Most women have that that longing at yeah. some point. 
Yeah, so true. And, you know, the thing with women, too, is they feel like they have that biological clock. Mm -hmm. You know, like, how many more years can I have children? If they physically want to have a child, it's like... Well, we do know, have a yeah, biological clock. That's exactly right. So that I think that plays into that time frame, yeah. too. They're going, oh, I'm getting a little older. I got, I got to make a decision. I got to make a choice where, you know, men have a little bit longer <laughs> in that category, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so many people would consider you a pioneer. You know what, and you know the first part of that is being a female coach in the NBA, which is one piece. But then also being a mother um, in the NBA. Um, so, are you comfortable with that role um, of being a pioneer? And it, how do you feel about? Are you just living your life and you're not really yeah, thinking about I'm, that? I'm or? not thinking about that. Honestly, to me, it's just trying to, you know, do the right thing, be in the right place with the right people, doing the right thing in my life but I do know that my situation represents a lot of other situations um, and you know the tough thing anytime you are one of the first doing something there is no path and there is a lot of resistance there is a lot of um, unfamiliarity which is uncomfortable for people and you know this is a very competitive business mm -hmm. so I'm constantly having conversations with myself um, mostly with Rick Carlisle, Sent Marshall, the leaders here, just about is this right for everybody? You know, is this right for everybody for me to be doing this, um, you know, while still trying to be a great mother? Is it fair to anybody? And if they feel like it's still a value and we can find the right balance, then, then I'll be here. But if it ends up not feeling right or making sense to anybody, then, th then this won't last long because my priority now is to be a great mother. Mm -hmm. And how does that fit with being a great coach and p being part of a team dynamic and not causing resentment? Um, you know, that's something I'm very, very sensitive to. Mm -hmm. And for the, our listeners that are coaching and parenting, like, how are you doing it? <laughs> You know, like, I mean, because you are traveling a lot and, you know, it's like, I know you have pockets of time like today on a game day and whatnot, but how are you doing it? It's, it's day to day. You know, like I said, the Mavericks have been really cooperative and even prog very progressive in, in saying, you know, that they were okay with me not traveling on any of the trips that were long in duration. So I only go on the short trips duration wise. So I'm never away from my daughter. The most I've been away is three nights mm. um, at a time. And sometimes that comes in clusters and it ends up being quite a bit, you know, within a week or a month, but, but then it balances out. So that's been so far a good balance, but it's hard being away from the team. You know, when they go on the long trips, they're gone for seven, eight days. Anybody who's been injured and not totally with the team knows that it's, it's a hard dynamic to not be in the trenches with your guys all the time. And so, you know, again, like I said, I'm weighing that out all the time, too, is, is this fair for the team for me to not be with them all the time? And is this, am I still able to add the value that I want to add mm -hmm. and be a good teammate, you know, to the coaches and, and to the team when I'm going to be away from them for periods of time, too? So it's just, am I, every day, um, try to be present wherever I am, try to be efficient wherever I am and try to not feel guilty <laughs> wherever, wherever I am. <laughs> <laughs> what, since you've been on the staff, um, what benefits do you see in having a woman in an all-male environment? Well, I, think, I think just in general, we make, we make a great team. You know, men and women have a complementary nature. We are different. We have different perspectives. Our brains function different, differently. We interpret information differently. We communicate differently. 
And so I think we are we we make a good team. And you you know in women's sports we've had men forever, mm-hmm. and we've had staffs that were a combination of men and women. I think it's a good balance. I think you know different players are going to gravitate towards different um, communication personalities, and that's a good thing. You mm-hmm. know so. Um, diversity has been proven to be extremely healthy in any company not just healthy but productive you know and, and profitable profitable that's right. what I mean yeah, so yeah. company is proven they make more money with diversity so mm-hmm. you the more diverse opinions you have in a room and thoughts and thought processes and filters and and all and communication leadership styles you know the, the better your group is going to be so um, it's I think it's just that you know mm-hmm. and a lot of these men were raised by strong women. A lot of them were raised in households without men in the home. And so they um, are very comfortable with strong women and, and in some in some cases I think even more comfortable with that dynamic because they were raised by single women also, which mm-hmm. has become a, an interesting topic of conversation too because they know I'm a single mother. Yeah, so the... Um with you know, I've read several articles about mm-hmm. you and some of your relationships with some of the players. And what do you think it is? Do you think it's partly that um, female energy that you might have that some of those players really do gravitate towards you, or that you have some kind of a different connection with them? The yeah, ones that you work it's, with, it's or? case by case. You mm-hmm. know, I, I I think it has been the case at times. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's hard to speak for them. And some of it may not even be like a conscious thing, mm-hmm. and and like different players gravitate to different coaches, anyways. Mm-hmm. So you're just giving you're you're just offering a, a, another different um, style dynamic that that some players you know hopefully will will gravitate towards, and it would be an advantage for a staff. Mm-hmm. What what do you think has surprised you the most about your time coaching? in either the WNBA or the NBA? Like, has there been anything that's really kind of surprised you that was, is the way it is that you never thought it was or, or the environment or the work life? Or is there anything that surprised you? Yeah, I didn't really have expectations to begin with, so I don't know that, that I would say surprised. I think, if anything, just how much I would love it, you know, just because I was never planning on being a coach. Um, but it hits both sides of my brain, so... You know the strategic side. It's like my dad's a researcher, and, and a, he's a, a doctor, but he his research is his passion. And my mom's side of the family, they were all like neurologists, psychiatrists. It was like mental how people tick, why they do what they do. So mm-hmm. the the strategy, problem solving side from my dad, and then the people, why people do what they do, and bringing people together and understanding, you know, people and the empathy. It just coaching is all of it mm-hmm. you know to be a good coach you have to have both sides of your brain ticking at maximal level you know group dynamics communication um, people skills emotional IQ as well as strategy and problem solving and mm-hmm. planning and and some of the more linear thinking yeah you know in the in the college game it seems like the coach really does drive the culture. Yes. You know, like, would you say it's different in the NBA that the coach still drives the culture here? 100%. The coach, um, I think every team takes on the personality of their coach to a degree. There probably is a little bit more bent towards your star players, if you have star players, um, than in college. Mm -hmm. And more so in the NBA than WNBA. So it's kind of like a partnership between the coach and those star players yeah. sometimes to keep the culture yeah. and keep yeah, yeah, yeah. the younger players, getting them brought into the culture. 
And yeah. it, it has to be kind of hard sometimes because players kind of come and go, don't they, too? Like, in, in like Well, in the pro sports, they're more stable than the coaches. <laughs> the star players are more stable than coaches yeah. in, in the pro game. Mm-hmm. No, no question about that. Mm-hmm. You know, you hope you have some say in the type of player you bring in so that you're aligned. Um, I think those are the, the championship cultures are where the, the leadership players and coaches and ownership are all aligned in terms of culture values. Um, the more aligned you are, the, the deeper and the more um, you know powerful the culture is. But the reality is this generation coming up, um, it's, it's proven they, they care a lot more about what their peers think than, than what leaders and older generations think. So in old, you know older generations, um, believed in mentors, looked up to and respected older people, listened, sought it out. Nowadays, you know, they're growing, they're growing up in the day, days of YouTube where they can get on the phone and they can figure anything out on their own. They can start a business. They can, you know, YouTube how to do anything. And so they're, they're not being taught through this social media age and this digital age the value of older generations and, and mentors. So you, it is even more important than ever to have leaders in the locker room that you're aligned with because they're going to influence your team with this generation a lot more than ever. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah the, the uh, Dr. Elmore's group called Growing Leaders, they are like they, they really specialize in knowing this generation. You know, mm-hmm. they you know, help teach our coaches about the generational differences. And they say this, this generation doesn't need us for information they need us for interpretation. Mm. So it's kind of like, you know, they can get their, any information they yeah. want at the drop of a hat, but sometimes they need our help to interpret that information and apply it to their right. lives, you know, in a, in a healthy way. So just a little tidbit mm-hmm. <laughs> from growing leaders. Um, um, what would you, is there a most interesting thing you've learned from working in, in the pro level with the WNBA or the NBA? Is there an, or something that's where you felt that's, that's really interesting, like, wow. I mean, I learn something every day. I think mm-hmm. that's one of the things I love about being on this level is, you know, like I mentioned, these are the best, the top competitors in the world. And I've always been fascinated by the elite, whether, whether it be in sports, music, business, entertainment, you know, what separates the best of the best? What, what is it about them? Can't just be talent that makes them the best of the best. And so I've done a lot of research on that. Um, I've spoken a lot about that. And so I'm continually studying the best of the best, which I get to be around all the time, as to what differentiates them from these other amazingly talented athletes or these coaches you know, that are the best of the best. What are the attributes that they have in common? And I learned a lot about that, and I try to apply it in my own life and try to share it with other people, other whether it be athletes or companies, um, other leaders, just because I think we all have something to learn from from these people who become literally the best in the world at something. So, so if you could, like, I know this is really off the top of your head, but could you say like maybe a couple things that you've discovered in your research? Yeah, I mean, about I give those whole coaches talks on this, but um, you know, one of I think one of the biggest differentiating factors that I've seen in the best of the best is they really aren't focused on being the best they really truly are focused on being their best and they're they're competing with with them i know it's cliche but they really have mastered this where you know tiger woods was best golfer in the world and he changed his golf swing why 
he's the best golfer in the world but he felt like he could be better. So he was willing to take steps backwards to go to another level. And it wasn't motivated by competing with anybody else. You know, the, the beauty for, those, for these elite in competing with other people is only to, to bring them to another level, which is actually what the purpose of sports were way back in ancient Greece when they first started them was the pursuit of excellence. The Greeks were after excellence and competition brought out the best in a a man and um, at that time not women probably mm. compete right <laughs> you know that's they've realized that if we, if I go compete with you even to the death like it's going to bring out levels in me that I couldn't get to on my own mm-hmm. these these elite of the elite they have something innate in them that, that just gets that and so they're really running their own race and use other people to to get farther to get further yeah so it's like that the latin um, interpretation of competition is really strive together. Yeah. You know? So it's kind of like they use that straight, you know, like, are you going to run faster by yourself or with somebody next to you mm-hmm. kind of concept, yeah. right? Yeah. So. so that's a, that's a big one, but mm-hmm. there's a lot of other. Yeah. And, and then you find that to be true of the coaches as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because I think when you start, um, anytime you start comparing, um, or even letting other people's feedback in, you know, it becomes a weakness. It, it brings fear into your, your mindset and your approach, and, and that, that's weakness, you know. So, um, yeah, I think it's – and when you look across the board with, like I said, the most successful people in a lot of different professions or realms, um, they all seem to have that – that is something in common. Mm-hmm. So when you look at um, now that you've kind of been in, so not, and by the way, I would love to hear that talk with our coaches someday, mm-hmm. so we, we got to stay connected. Um, like when you think about your greatest gifts as a coach right now, like what is your, like I always ask coaches, what are your, what's your superpower? Like mm-hmm. what is it that you bring that, you know, on the staff that no one else brings? That you well, bring? I don't know if no one else brings it. we got a huge staff. <laughs> but yeah. Um, I, you know, I've learned over the years that um, my motivational gift is, is exhortation, which is the ability to see someone's potential, not, not just as a player, but as a human being. And I'm extremely passionate and energized and motivated by helping them reach that. So serving them in that way, it's more than an encourager. Um, but seeing it, first of all, it might even be seeing them beyond what they see themselves in a holistic way mm-hmm. in the be- as a, the best version of themselves and then working it from all different angles to help them see it and, and achieve it. And so that really drives me. And I think, um, you know, it's, it's a service. I'm motivated by helping other people. Mm-hmm. And nothing makes me happier than seeing somebody take a step in that way you know and I think players feel that you know what your motivation is if your motivation as a coach and you see it on this level a lot because it's the highest level so results oriented yeah when coaches start getting caught up in the selfish ambition of it like they really want to be a head coach or they really want to move up to the front of the bench or they really want to make more money I think players can smell that when your motivation becomes about you in some way, shape, or form. Or even if it's fear-based, like you're worried about losing your job. Mm-hmm. Again, that's about you. And um, I think if you can stay pure as a coach or a leader in your motivation, 
to serve whoever you're leading, I think that it can separate you. Mm -hmm. In the world of coaching and as you've moved up from, you know, a college player um, through now at the NBA, like who would you say are some of your closest mentors that you've kind of started to gravitate towards um, as you've moved through your career? I know, like I met you through Larry Shiat, mm -hmm. um, and he, I think he was kind of leaving when you were coming in a little bit, but who, who, is, who have you really gone, wow? I really am impressed by that that person, and I really would love to get to know them more. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was really blessed to get to know Coach Wooden mm -hmm. in his latter years, and I had read a lot of his material, and it just resonated with me, like one hundred percent. This is the type of leader I want to be. Everything he said just was just like deep water to my soul, you know, and just made sense to me. And so to get to spend time with him in his latter years, really quality time. Um, you know, not just talking about basketball, but going to church, going to breakfast, just talking about life stuff. That that was that left a huge impression on me because you read about him, but then when you when you are in his presence and you know there's there's just the reality of he lived this like this was, he embodied this stuff. It's not just like motivational quotes. You could just feel it mm -hmm. and. It's when you're around a good leader, you know, you, you catch what they, what they are more than what they say. There's an impartation that takes place that's, that comes from their being. And we, we need to know that. It's a responsibility as a coach because who we are is going to affect who we're leading more than what we say. So who we are is very important, who we actually are. We have to know who we, we are. We have to know who we are. Mm -hmm. And we have mm -hmm. to know that, you know, can't, you can't fake it. It's going to, who you really are is going to influence your, who you're leading. So, um, Pat Summit, John Wooden, mm -hmm. any, anybody else that really jumps well, on you? Well, I've had a lot of How'd you get yeah. connected with Coach Carlisle? I mean, clearly he's a, a big yeah, um, yeah. person in your life. Well, a lot of the NBA guys took me under their wing over the last 20 years. And um, I don't know why, but I've been very, very grateful for that. Starting in Miami when I was down there. Ron Rothstein was the, the head coach that Pat Riley had hired to run the women's team. He was a longtime NBA coach, and he um, took me under his wing as a father figure. He was extremely hard on me. In fact, when we stopped working together, he's like, I'm surprised you even still talk to me. I was harder on you than my own son, you know. Mm -hmm. But he said he saw potential, and he was, you know, probably as di most directly influential in laying a foundation of how to coach professional basketball mm -hmm. um, than anyone. He was the most direct and deep, and we still talk all the time. He's like a second father to me. Debbie Ryan, my college coach, mm -hmm. huge influence on me. Her integrity, I think, stings out, sticks out more than anything. Just what she said was gold, and mm -hmm. she never even bent the truth, and she never manipulated. Um, and her direct communication style was very um, appreciated. Mm -hmm. And had built my trust she's one of my best friends to this day and mm -hmm. I can talk to her about anything um and then moving on you know I've had, like I said a lot, a lot of NBA people, coaches right? yeah so Rick I met like 2000 uh I think it was like 2003 2002 when I was coaching in Miami and we just hit it off and he mm -hmm. just opened his doors to me and I was hungry to learn and so anybody who'd open their doors and let me learn from them, yeah, I was you would walk through that door, right, right, at it. So he did, and and I spent a lot of time learning from him and studying his offenses in particular because he was known, you know, as the best offensive coach in the NBA. 
and I wanted to learn from mm-hmm. the best. So if you uh, thought about your long-term goals in this career, would you want to be a head coach in the NBA or you just haven't gone, you don't even go there? I've never had long-term goals. And I know that's you know, kind of against some people's teachings, but I just never, I just never have operated that way. Like I really like to do my best where I am and then try to be, be self-reflective and aware of where I feel like I'm being led and if this feels like time is up and I should start looking elsewhere and um, and just following my heart in that way and following the peace and the light that I feel like is that leads me in my life. And, and um, I don't really know, to be honest with you. I, I could end up anywhere doing anything and that could be coaching another 20, 30 years and that could be coaching just this year and, mm-hmm. and be done, you know, and I'm, I'm really open mm-hmm. and I want to stay open. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to get on this rat race and get stuck on it and be on it for the wrong reasons because it's comfortable or, you know, it's expected. Um, I've never operated that way. So especially now that I have a daughter in my life and she's my priority, um, we can end up in the jungle in Costa Rica playing with the monkeys. I, who knows, you know? <laughs> It, it really, <laughs> nothing would surprise me or anybody who knows me very well. But mm-hmm. um, but on the other hand, I could end up in the NBA 20 years. Um, I would love to be in the WNBA. My heart is very much still in the WNBA and mm-hmm. to give back to the women. I am very passionate about giving, sharing the knowledge that I'm fortunate to gain being in the NBA with the women's game. Mm-hmm. Women's players, mm-hmm. a lot of my former players are coaches now, and they reach out to me a lot, and I try to help them just – be great scientists of the game mm-hmm. you know there was a long time where any staff you saw in the women's game when they wanted to hire an x and o person they hired a man and i want there to be a generation of women who are x and o coaches too so mm-hmm. when they're looking to hire an x and o coach they they look at there's a pool of women that are x and o coaches and mm-hmm. not just you know empathizers and relate to the players and whatever i want i want you know some some yeah. sharks in there dicing up the the science of the game too so i try to help it went any way I can give them back in, in that way. I know I saw one of your interviews, you were saying that you felt like the WNBA has been around since a lot of these young male players have come up into the NBA. So they're, they, they're kind of used to women being a part of the basketball game now versus the older generation men. You know, they, they, they haven't, haven't, have had to get used to it a little bit where these guys are like, oh, yeah, women play basketball. Oh, you know, it's no big deal, right? Yeah, Sue, Sue Bird's a good friend of mine. We talk, mm-hmm. we laugh about it all the time. Like, the best players in the world, like in the NBA, that every guy in the world worships loves the WNBA. But those same men that worship the NBA guys who really respect the women's game, they make fun of the WNBA. Mm-hmm. It makes absolutely no sense. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> those guys are front row cheering us on with their kids. and <laughs> And the average man is like, oh, WNBA, you know. So I don't know where the disconnect is, but we're trying to figure that out for sure. Well, I'm just going to jump to our rapid-fire questions, which are just quick hitters, you know. Like, um, we'll, we'll use the, uh, what do you guys have, a 24-hour, 24-second? Yeah. <laughs> all right, so we'll go with that. But these are just fun little questions, all right, so that you just answer really quick. Okay. Are you ready? Best advice you've ever been given? Uh, everything happens for a reason. A common mistakes coaches make? Focusing on results. A common mistake talented athletes make? Uh, Comparing themselves to other people. What is something unique most people don't know about you? I prefer baths over showers. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one. Um, If you could have lunch with anyone dead or alive, who would that be? I mean, 
not to not to sound religious, but Jesus was just a cool dude. Mm-hmm. I'm with you on that. He's a fringe dweller. He was yes. like he was he with was, the people that you know that yeah, nobody he, else. He liked. challenged status quo, and he mm-hmm. didn't care what anybody else think. And he was a great servant leader. Mm-hmm. I, lo- I I agree with you. Um, great coaches know how to blank. Um, they know how to uh, fan the flames of genius in their players and then get out of the way. Um, do you have a mantra you live by? I think the golden rule, you know, do unto others as you would have do unto you. Um, not not what they would do to you, but what you what you would want them to do to you. I mm-hmm. think just empathy is a really important thing in, in my eyes. Great. We need more of that in our workplace, yeah. don't we? And compassion. Yes. Besides exercise, because clearly you're fit. Mm-hmm. Um, I say that with a little <laughs> besides exercise a healthy part of my daily ritual is I think spending time with my kid you know we explore the world together and we're totally in the moment and uh, and just seeing the world through a kid's eyes is I think very healthy biggest challenge in my current position is the balance mm-hmm. what do you love about being a parent well, I'm a teacher at heart, so I, I spend every second of, of my day teaching and influencing now my own flesh and blood. Okay, this is the most fun question of them all. What is your go-to karaoke song? Baby Got Back. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, Jenny. Thank you so much. This has been a ball, and good luck tonight. Thank um, you very much. I'm we'll looking forward to being there and watching the, the Mavericks take on the Nuggets. Thank so. you. All right. It's been a pleasure. Hi coaches, thank you so much for joining us on this Coaches on the Rise episode. There's a few little things that we'd really like to ask you to do for us that might seem little, but they're huge for True North Sports. First, if you enjoy our podcast, please subscribe. And we'd really like to hear what you have to say about our podcast by writing a short review. The second thing is please share our podcast with other coaching colleagues that you have. And the third thing is, Join us on social media. Follow the different programs, um, things that we're offering through True North Sports for all coaches of all sports on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thank you for joining us. And until next month, keep shining bright, coaches.